Welcome to the Global Futures Podcast with me, Joel Sandu. We're not in our usual recording studio because of the coronavirus pandemic, so we are sitting here in our producer, Sonia Sugrobova's flat, and she's kindly opened her doors and made this homemade studio for us. All eyes are on the coronavirus pandemic and its unabated march throughout most parts of the world. Our guest today is a seasoned journalist covering social and political developments in Europe and Latin America. He'll be speaking to us about how the current pandemic is being covered in Latin America, the continent which is on the cusp of an all-out battle with the pandemic. We will also discuss what responsibility the media has while covering the coronavirus pandemic. How is the coronavirus pandemic in Europe being covered in Latin America? Are governments and health institutions prepared to face the pandemic in places like Mexico and its southern neighbors? Have Latin American governments learned from the experiences of places hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic? Joining us today to discuss these questions is Yeltsin Botello. He is head of talk shows and own productions at Deutsche Welle Latin America. Before joining Deutsche Welle in 2011, Yeltsin worked as a Germany correspondent and writer for the prestigious Mexican newspaper group Reforma for 15 years. Here he is to share his insights into the coronavirus pandemic debate in Germany and Latin America. Yeltsin, thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us on the Global Futures Podcast, where we're you're super busy at Deutsche Welle with the whole uh, coronavirus pandemic uh, coverage that you have to do. So thanks a lot for joining us. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very honored. So you cover Latin America and European developments as part of your work as a journalist. Can you tell us how the media in Latin America, and perhaps in particular Mexico, where you are from, is covering the coronavirus pandemic in Europe? Right now, as we're talking this uh, Friday, uh, the 20th, uh, they're very worried about that. But two weeks ago, or, or one week ago, they weren't worried about um, about the pandemic. Uh, there, um, there are other stuff that they're really worried about in Mexico, and um, and it has to do with national politics, um, as well as any other country. They're worried about what is happening with their natural resources. They're worried about what's happening with the economy. They're worrying about what how this new president, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, is um, um, addressing himself to the people and how if he's actually in good mental health or not. Uh, so these are uh, topics that are worried the most uh, to Mexicans. Of course, um, every day they've been hearing about a pandemic that has been occurring in, uh, in, in the whole world, and uh, they've been worried about that. And uh, but on one side they've been hearing about that because the media are are, are reporting on that. But on the other side they have a um, they have a government and they have a president who are denying the facts and uh, who are denying what is happening. Two days ago we had uh, Mr. Lopez Obrador saying that he's actually immune to uh, coronavirus and that the only thing that will save him and that will probably save uh, some people. It's the saints he's carrying in his pockets. So uh, while we're in Germany and uh, throughout the world are talking about the vaccine or ways, I mean, before vaccine, uh, before vaccine, ways to uh, um, avoid being uh, uh, getting getting the virus, uh, the Mexican president is saying, okay, we just have to. Get, uh, get our saints in our pockets and uh, and stop worrying about 
the coronavirus is not a pandemic. Well, so, when you when you say saints, you're talking in the religious sense. Religious sense, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how to call them, but uh, it's like um, every in every Catholic country, uh, when you're Catholic, um, you're carrying always um, some religious saints in your pockets or in your in your wallets. Uh, this will save you from from uh, yeah. not being loved or from hunger or from uh, right now from the coronavirus. So there's a saying for every purpose. That's what I get from what you're saying. Now, can, yeah. you, can, can you tell us a little bit about the reactions across Latin America? You just touched upon Mexico and uh, the president you're referring to, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, also known as AMLO, is, is kind of in the denial camp. Uh, and we've seen how Peru and Venezuela and now also Chile and Brazil are all in a way reacting to the pandemic, uh, the coronavirus pandemic differently. Could you shed a little bit of light to our listeners on, on how the different approaches are? Um, and we're seeing like uh, different characteristics in, in every country in, in Latin America. Peru ordered immediately uh, total locked, uh, lockdown of their life. So any, uh, any Peruvian uh, living there has been uh, locked down for the last two or three days. I mean, they've, they've been reporting that in social media as well. You see the videos from people actually uh, from their windows looking, looking into the streets and uh, making mockery of the people who are actually uh, uh, running or, or, um, or being on the street without, without a purpose. And they're saying, what? What are these people doing there? So people, also, people, people in Peru are also taking that seriously. In Chile, they also order uh, I think it's a, yeah, a nationwide and, uh, quarantine, yeah. A nationwide quarantine, and they, they, they even send the military into the streets. It's like Chile uh, never misses an opportunity to send the military into the streets. So we saw that as well. Last November, during the demonstrations, uh, nationwide demonstrations on the streets, um, military was also to uh, hold up these demonstrations. So they never miss an opportunity to, to send the military into the streets. Venezuela was saying also, um, they were talking about a lockdown, and uh, President Maduro was uh, stating yesterday, actually, actually I think, it was yesterday that people should stay at their homes to avoid uh, being um, contaminated by the virus. Argentina, uh, also last night, last uh, Thursday, yesterday night, they um, they order also a, a lockdown, a quarantine nationwide. Although they have very few cases, they they they, ha they, they don't have as much cases. Uh, any other countries as Chile, Colombia, or Mexico, or even Peru, but they they have the opportunity to to send their uh, to send the people uh, to their homes. So they're actually it's a, it's a very good reaction. Yeah. Okay. So I was just going to ask you that. Do you think the the governments in Latin America are kind of picking up their cue from observing what's happening in the rest of the world and you know taking preemptive measures to to kind of cut their losses, if you will? Do you think they are they are picking up from lessons learned from what's happening, let's say in the European response? to coronavirus or what's happening further abroad in East Asia? Definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, mostly I, w I would say they're 
they're looking they're looking to the European countries how we are managing here the crisis in in, in Germany and in Europe and uh, I can tell you that because I was talking to a Italian and an Argentinian uh, journalist yesterday and today in the morning who are covering the news who are living here in in Berlin and they're covering the news for their media in Chile and in Argentina and uh, they say they uh, media i mean all media outlets from tv to uh, newspapers are covering every every single aspect of what is happening in europe about the coronavirus and one of the reasons is that uh, as well as chile as in argentina they have uh, they have huge communities of chinese and argentinians living here in europe and uh, they also and uh, and the other way around. I mean, Argentinian society and Chilean society are also founded are made up of um, well, not made up, but uh, in in the beginnings of the country there were a lot of immigration from Europe. That's why probably they have a very good link to Europe. And now they're following um, step by step what is happening here. And one of the journalists told me, it's like uh, here in Germany we'll live it in the future. And they want to take advantage of what of what happened here to uh, take the proper measures of um, and precautions in their own societies. Yeah, that's really interesting how you put that. They they're looking at Europe as as though it's like a a funnel to look into the future. Because I mean, as we said, you know, some countries are just a few days behind Europe or or wherever else. So we're trying to hopefully uh, pick up the, the the right lessons. I'm going to come back to the issue of media coverage in Latin America. This wall to wall coverage, as you just mentioned, uh, on the developments of coronavirus. But first, I want to pick you up on something you mentioned earlier about Peru, that there's a lockdown and, you know, the military is on the streets. You know better than most, many Latin American countries have seen authoritarian rule, they've seen military governments and revolutions in, in their recent history. How would citizens there respond to curfews and lockdowns in general? I don't think I have an answer for that, or probably I have different answers for that. On one side, we would see Chile, um, how they they reacted to the coronavirus. It was Chile who sent the military into the streets. So, uh, um, like the major principal forces uh, of uh, Chile, the, the real authority in Chile is made up by the military. They have they have and not only political power, they have also economic economical power in Chile. So um, they've been kind of controlling or or having control of the society. Every every time the military is going to the street. That means something serious is happening. And uh, that's really, I mean, you can see heritage, if you can call it heritage, of, of what happened with Pinochet, Pinochet before. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if you can say the same in, in, in Peru or in Argentina or Paraguay or Panama, where we had these dictatorships, um, because none of these countries have been sent in the military to uh, have control of the situation there. Uh, but you see, then on the other side, people responding to their governments. As soon as they get an order to stay, to stay home, like in Peru or in Argentina, people are staying at home. Uh, they're not really uh, violating these orders as we've seen that in Spain or probably here in Germany who are um, um, on one side, we're very worried about what is happening. On the other side, you see people in uh, Munich or in Berlin still going to the streets. We have pictures of uh, public places being um, 
uh, with no people. But you you have also some corners or some districts where you can see people on the streets as though it was a normal day. Paraguay, I think the Paraguayans, uh, they also had a dictatorship. Um, they're reacting somehow. Um, not, they're not really uh, saying they have to stay home, uh, but people themselves are being conscious about that because the media is also reporting on that. And they're staying, they're, they're reducing their social activities. In Mexico, there wasn't a dictatorship there. Um, and you can probably see that there is no authority telling, there's no authority who can, who can, say the, who can tell the Mexicans stay home. And the Mexicans don't see themselves because there's been, there's been surveys about that, that they will stay home and reduce their social activities. So um, there's different responses, uh, answers to this question. And on the other hand, also a, a, a very different question, but even if uh, the governments were so authoritarian and the people will uh, try to commit to their governments, there is a major problem in Latin America who most of the working force in Latin America and many countries, I wouldn't speak for whole Latin America, for the whole continent, but there's this situation in different countries in Latin America. Uh, most of them uh, work in uh, informal um, economy. Informal. Okay. And uh, informal economy. That means they don't have the, uh, the labor guarantees or they don't have any, any uh, uh, labor advantages as uh, social security or any other money income. So they, 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 they're freelancers or they're, they're working in this so-called informal economy. They have to make money every day. Otherwise, they don't, they don't have a point of living. Yeah, and that's a discussion we hear in the media a lot, that uh, people across the world who are affected by this pandemic and are you know in the informal economy, they are in a very precarious situation when it comes to their financial security, including in countries, advanced developed countries like the US, where you know there are families that live paycheck to paycheck. And so I see where you're, where you're, uh, what you're saying. Just to stick to the curfew topic uh, for, for a minute more, European countries like Spain, Italy, and France have gone into a total lockdown and curfews are being introduced. How do you see the debate around this in Germany where we are? Well, people here is not, uh, apparently they're not taking that so seriously as we saw. Um, I, was, I was looking at some pictures from Victualian Mark in Munich. Uh, it's, a, it's a public place, very well-known public place in the set of Munich. When they, when they had already lots of cases and, and bads reported, and the people were still just taking advantage of the good weather that we've been having here in Germany. Probably that's the reason. Exactly. And they were they were in the street. <laughs> Probably that's one of the reasons. But I, I'm not I'm, I'm I'm not sure about that. But they were on the streets as they want to take advantage of the last minute. Uh, but the same has been happening here in some corners in Berlin, where I, where I live, where you see some neighborhoods who are really paying attention to what uh, the authorities are saying, among them um, the Chancellor Angela Merkel, and uh, stay home, and playgrounds and parks um, are emptied. But there are some other partners uh, who are, which are uh, also 
folds of people. You see the pictures from the news agencies. There are still people on the street, either because they want to enjoy the weather that we have here or just because they they don't see their enemy, uh, the, the, this coronavirus. It's, it's invisible, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I don't know what is going to happen here. I think uh, Germany will Do have... Do you think a... they, could, they would be able to enforce a curfew if, if it comes down to that? Do we have the instruments, uh, the, the human resources, uh, the authorities? Do they have this to, to enforce it if need be? Germany has it. I think every country in, in Europe has it. Um, the thing is, I was thinking about this uh, for this whole week. I don't know if, if a curfew could be enforced here. Because um, if we've been talking about dictatorships and authority, um, authoritarian governments, and I think uh, in Latin America, but I think uh, the country that has the most problem with that is Germany. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Bringing, bringing the police or the military into the streets could probably wake all this nightmare that uh, the country lived uh, more than 70 years ago, uh, seeing the police and Forcing a curfew or uh, taking the people into their homes, I don't see that. I don't. I don't see that happening. Uh, I, I think if the chancellor or any other local authority, because um, in this federal country, every Bundesland is being governed separately, and if, if Bayern already uh, created sort of a curfew uh, starting this Friday. If every Bundesland enforce or, or decrease a curfew, I think the Germans will be so obedient and they, and they will stay home without uh, the authorities um, having to find them or, or bringing them back home. Mm -hmm. Talking about the, the Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel of Germany, you know, two days ago on March 18th, she came out and gave a televised address, which is a very rare thing. I think in her 14 years as a chancellor, she's only done it. Uh, this is the first time outside her New Year's uh, address. And um, a lot of people in Germany were glued to the TV to hear what she had to say. And I realized afterwards in conversation with, with some of my colleagues that um, her address had kind of missed a pan-European component. Obviously, she's the Chancellor of Germany. She's addressing, you know, the citizens of, of her country. But there was really this this EU-wide solidarity and this uh, message of, you know, we're in this together. We need to pull through it together. That component was missing. Um, what do you make of that? Every country is looking for for itself. Italy started with their own curfews and, and their own politicians addressing the Italians and um, Spain did the same, France did the same. Now with Angela Merkel, I think every country has to look for itself first. And um, it is still the European Union, uh, they're still working together because they're sharing information about, about flights, about people being contagiously reported. Uh, so it's still working as an European Union, but the uh, Chancellor cannot speak uh, on behalf of any other country, uh, when, he, when it comes to the security of their own, of, of her own citizens, or I mean, in European um, 
if I may ask, uh, if, if you were expecting or, or somebody was expecting that Angela Merkel will speak on behalf of the whole Europe because she's been seen as, a, as, a, as an European leader or because she's been a, a leader of the world? or, or... No, I suppose the, the, the observation was more that there was no mention of, uh, you know, any, any message saying that, you know, we're in this together, we have to support each other and, you know, there, there is, we're taking an economic hit and we have to get out of this uh, in, in a collective way in a sense i feel we kind of missed the boat with the uh, european economic crisis uh, and and taking greece as an example we kind of uh, was a makeshift response and there was no real solid uh, collective response uh, to that issue so yeah i, I think that that was yeah but that was that was one case that, that that was something that it was happening only in one country yeah this was uh, this is meant to be in in every part of the continent in, in europe i mean it was happening in Italy, and then it would—I mean—it's just been spreading out in, in in every country. So at some point, you have to look for for your own country and your own citizens. It's not that just imagine Angela Merkel speaking on behalf of what is happening uh, in Europe and uh, particularly um, what is happening in Spain, Italy, and France, because there there are these are the most affected countries in Europe. Uh, looking for solidarity into these countries, while in in the meantime. And her own country is also being highly contagious, to say in one way. So definitely, she had to she had to address herself to her own citizens. For sure. And for sure. Um, it was in a way this is so serious, and this address was sort of a premonitory address of what is happening probably this weekend or next week because we've been. Um, I think it's a matter of days that the curfew has been established also here in Berlin. Is that what you think? Uh, and, and the rest of Germany. I, I think this is coming, of mm. course. Okay, well, uh, on that note, I mean, obviously, given your job, uh, you're, you and your team are working around the clock to uh, keep citizens uh, informed and, and, and covering new developments. From your perspective, uh, what is the responsibility of the media at this moment of crisis? How are you guys dealing with it? There's a lot of work, and uh, we're also, um, um, I mean, we're, um, as, you, as, as you said, we're uh, struggling, uh, struggling around the clock to have our information gathered and uh, put it on air. At the same time, we're being affected by what is happening here with the coronavirus because we've had cases and the from people who was being uh, who has the coronavirus or the people has been affected because they were somewhere else and now they can't come uh, home I mean um, or to Berlin where they, where they, where they work and we don't have the people to continue working in normal daily basis um, in a daily basis so um, it's important our job because we're bringing out information citizens uh, need to hear what is happening with the coronavirus, how many uh, people has been infected, how many people has died, how can you prevent uh, being infected by the virus. There has also been a lot of fake news, or, or, or probably not a lot of fake news, but at some point there is information that could be misleading people. At the beginning, it wasn't sure that uh, Taking medicines like ibuprofen will really uh, make uh, your sickness worse. We have no proof of that. But then now it's been actually already stated that you have to avoid such 
medicines. Um, so we're we're spreading all this information that um, the main authorities and uh, scientists and institutions are are working on uh, to the rest of the world. I think media are 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 for that. That's why also this uh, Chilean and Argentinian media are, are also looking for. They're looking for what is happening um, in Europe to be uh, one step one step forward also in their own societies. And are you um, are you are you collaborating with the media in Latin America to ensure that you know the information that that they are gathering is uh, correct uh, and 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 it's co- uh, corroborated and it's it's uh, it's the right kind of information are you providing support for your peers uh, in Latin America in such ways in some ways because i mean i'm in touch with different and several journalists throughout Latin America and whenever they, they come to me with questions or what is on 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 report more on reports on behalf of uh, European media or German media, um, I will definitely answer what they need. But um, I'm also committed to uh, gather first the information that we are uh, uh, coping with here in Germany, and then uh, spread out on the world. Uh, that's my that's my main my main topic right now. But we see uh, if we see there has been some misleading information, it becomes also a topic here in the Deutsche Welle, and uh, and we would put it on the news and then we say this is not happening this is not the way it was happening i mean the good information is this but also there's a lot of information uh, from every part of the world because this is affecting the whole world so we cannot we can't talk about everything on the coronavirus is also i mean the developments on this on this effect is also are occurring every minute as we mm-hmm. talk which is which which comes neatly to to a question that i have on my mind as you as you mentioned there is wall-to-wall coverage on the coronavirus pandemic we're hearing its impact in all walks of life and it seems like the media uh, rightly so in a way is singularly focused on this pandemic but at the same time you know there are still thousands and thousands of refugees that are still crammed in Syria and Turkey and on Greek islands. You know, the U.S. is in the middle of an election campaign and uh, Brexit occurred not too long ago and we're in the midst of the EU trying to agree on a budget without the U.K. So there's all these other things that are going on and I seem like, you know, where the media isn't really covering it. Again, it's not, it's not a, I'm not saying whether what, what the media is doing is right or wrong. I'm just wondering, you know, how do you go about deciding balanced news coverage and how are these decisions taken in your editorial meetings? I'm in charge of talk shows here at Bolton Español, and I wanted to uh, organize a talk show about the election, the, the upcoming election in the U.S. We were all eager about doing that. Then this happened. Everybody was talking about the coronavirus. Everybody was talking about what was happening, and then the fee, the, the first cases uh, showed up here in Germany as well, and in, in Europe first, which is already a region we are um, we are also dealing with. Uh, but then in Germany, and it's like, oh come on, I mean this. This is, this is becoming serious, and without, I mean, in the case of the um, U.S. election, you can you can easily say, okay, there's something important happening uh, uh, on the other side of the Atlantic. We still have time for that because it's, it's going to be in November. So at some point, you make uh, an assessment of what is more important and touching for the people. And uh, while the election is still happening in, uh, in in a few months ahead, you have the virus coming every day 
closer to you. So it's like, okay, these are probably the main questions that we have to deal with right now with, um, on the coronavirus. And so was it the first talk show, instead of being about the U.S. election, it was about coronavirus. The, um, the week after, we wanted to talk about um, the Syria and Turkey conflict and all these refugees and uh, migrants and the deal between Turkey and the European Union. And uh, we were already uh, preparing uh, for that. Uh, we had information, we had video clips for that. And then uh, the coronavirus pandemic was already a pandemic and was, was, was more serious than the last week. So we had to drop the Syria-Turkey uh, topic and then talk again about the coronavirus. Uh, and we discussed that in editorial meetings. It's not only me deciding on that or, or me with two people. Um, I'm working together with the, uh, the Germans and, uh, and the English-speaking people and the Arabics from the Deutsche, uh, from Deutsche Welle, I mean, four major desks. And uh, we talk about what, what could be important in every region. And everybody is uh, suddenly agreeing that this is a major topic and that we should talk about that. There is a lot of fear that we have to discuss and, uh, about. There is a lot of questions being still unanswered and uh, people need to know about that. Or at least we think that they need to know about that. Yeah. I'm sure these decisions aren't easy to make and you have to juggle a lot of competing priorities. And yeah, I see at the moment this is uh, the key thing. I thought it was just interesting to know how these decisions are made. And as you rightly mentioned, there are so many other topics. I want to say thank you very much, Yeltsin, for your time. And uh, on the note of what's important, um, thank you and uh, to Deutsche Welle as well for, for the important work you guys are doing. And uh, we hope all the colleagues there stay safe and uh, good luck with the important work that you do. And be it uh, saints in your pockets or common sense, uh, whatever helps to stay in good health, uh, do it. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to having you back on the show soon. Yeah, thank you, of course. This episode of Global Futures was presented by Joelle Sandu and produced by Sonia Sugrubova with assistance from Hannah-Sophie Bollmann from the Global Public Policy Institute. Our guest today was Yeltsin Boteo. For a full list of Global Governance Futures products, including scenario reports, opinion pieces, interviews, and other podcasts, visit ggfutures.net forward slash analysis. Until next time, we wish you all good health, positive energy.